2: Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cran, just make basketball. And today, Tim, we don't have a ton of Lakers stuff to go over. I know the Discord recently started their team for a day series, right? So we can dig into that once there's a little bit more uh, there and so that's exciting. As always, give us a five star and uh, send us a screenshot to get into discord to see some of that stuff. It will let you give you the link. So now ta- do you want to talk first about Rashid Wallace or the fact that Anthony Davis is apparently bad at basketball because he doesn't shoot every day of his life?
3: <laughs> Dealers choice, Tom. I guess we can go chronological. Why don't, why don't we touch on Wallace? I know Sheed. I did a really quick reaction pod right in the middle of the day where it was like nine minutes, 10 minutes, uh, just looking at his history, just from like a resume standpoint as a coach. uh, And it was pretty quick. It was, you know, there's not a whole lot here that would make an NBA franchise decide to go grab somebody who hasn't coached NBA players in a decade. Um, But obviously he was a really great player. What what are your thoughts on it? What do you, like, why, (laughs) why are they going after him?
2: So, I mean, I, I think it's quite as simple as he has a relationship with coach ham. And for whatever reason, I think either the front office or coach ham thinks this guy will be good for AD. They'll te- get that dog in him. Have this guy who I believe they were teammates at one point, weren't they? Or they they know each other. It's not that different than Luke Walton hiring his buddies from Arizona who mm-hmm. don't really have the qualifications the difference being Rashid Wallace is a very good basketball player uh, and a successful basketball player in the league. So there is more there, but it feels more in this, you know, what can this guy do for AD, the intangibles, get that dog in him, teach him how to get some texts and play like a, play like a like an alpha, not a beta big.
3: Yeah. It, it might have to be intangibles From from what I've heard from people who were around the program at Memphis, the college team he was working with, he was not value add for them they, they didn't the bigs didn't develop he they limited his role to basically nothing he, they'd like zoom him every couple weeks <laughs> um it was i'm doing more for college teams than rasheed wallace was doing for college teams oh, like this past season the um, spice love it. it it's not it's not but it's true it's there's nothing there that would cause this and There's nothing from his high school coaching tenure, which was like a season or two, which was not a good season or two that would yield this, nor is there, you know, a decade ago, he was an assistant like player development coach for the Pistons for like a year, um, was let go before his contract was even up. Like nothing he's done merits this from an on-court development standpoint. But if he can help AD not be soft I guess is like what is (laughs) what is the pitch here I don't know I think it's it's that simple (laughs) I I think okay as the Lakers exceptionalism podcast I think we need to pitch for this team to start acting more like rich entitled brats like be like I want that and like go like go try to grab like the best shooting coach the best player development coaches like this guy shouldn't be on your list um, you should be looking to poach people, and apparently they're looking to do that with some of the other systems, which I'm I'm encouraged by and I'm excited about. And we'll see what that ends up looking like. But there are a lot of coaches out there that their contracts will be up this year, or their teams would allow them to leave if it helps them in their careers. Like there are gettable dudes out there. You don't have to go grab someone who like w- couldn't you know hang in the, at the college level, yeah, coaching wise.
2: And in other smaller news, I wasn't sure if this was officially reported. It does seem like the Lakers are bringing back Phil Handy um, Mm -hmm. for another season. So
3: and Quentin Crawford. Gotcha. Yeah, Crawford.
2: So, you know, they were
3: smiling in a picture with with uh, Derwin Ham. Tom, as we know, if you're smiling in a picture with you know in a Lakers facility, it means we're gonna have a great season.
2: That's never backfired. Obviously, uh, and then I guess next we can talk about how Anthony Davis took a vacation from basketball, and people criticizing his uh, his routine in the off season, which, you know, Lakers season and his season ended like way way back in what April, late March. Um, it's who oh, who care? I'm sorry, I can't drum up the you know, Gusto to care about this. Uh, I care more that he's working with Lethal Shooter than (laughs) him not touching a basketball for six weeks or whatever it's been. Did you
3: see Lethal Shooter's post? He was like, glad to work with this guy. Haven't worked with him. Wait, let me check something. When was the last time he shot well as a jump (laughs) shooter? Okay. Year and a half. Haven't worked with him in over a year and a half. I thought that was funny.
2: Hey, man, if you can make shots at the backboard that has spikes and nails on it, you can, you know... (laughs) Make if shots at any. Wrench, Tom, that's
3: right. You can dodge a ball.
2: <laughs> hey man, gotta gotta respect the grift. Uh, it's all about the grift these days in yeah. society. But uh, you know, not a ton. Unless, to, uh, unless you want to talk about you know we'll leaked jerseys or, or or.
3: No 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 no. Let's dig into the ad thing a little bit more. Okay. I don't know that I'm necessarily unhappy about him working with Lethal Shooter. What I like for him to work with, like. An NBA shooting coach that works for an NBA team? Sure. But I also know that, like, there are great consultants out there that do great work with guys. Lee Hool Shooter does some weird stuff to attract attention. It works to attract attention. From from what we can tell, he's not doing that stuff with players. Um, It's strange to me that AD did work with him at one point in time, and then just, like, stopped. Mm -hmm. And I know there was, like, the bubble in there, and he's been injured for a bit, but like, he, I mean, at some point picked up a basketball and was shooting, so I'm surprised... That uh you know partnership didn't didn't continue during that time, so that's interesting. But I would imagine whether it's with him or if the Lakers bring in another shooting coach to replace Penn it should be a step up. Like 80's history as a jump shooter isn't great. And all but like one season it's been pretty bad from three, and this most recent year was one of his worst years. So we can't get worse from here. Like if Lakers Twitter can bully him into is starting to shoot a little bit earlier. I don't necessarily see that as a as a bad thing. It's not like he's, I don't know. It's not intense cardio. It's I, I'll say this: what his normal off season routine is isn't abnormal for him. It's not a, what he's doing this year. Isn't abnormal for him. It's not abnormal for other players, for LeBron, for other dudes. But at the same time, has shown up to like training camp out of shape before. He's he's someone that like. In New Orleans and with the Lakers, like I've heard like grumblings, like nothing officially reported, but just like people being like this player's concerned that AD doesn't want to work hard enough or things like that. And I don't know what to make of all of that, but it's been kind of a constant with him over time. So he doesn't have a reputation among players as one of those guys that's going to go grind. So I don't mind him in an area he's been weak at, like getting a head start or saying I'm weak here, I need to go work on it. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but at the same time, it's not like he's super lazy and not, you know, doing shooting drills as soon as the season's over. So I'm de- kind of in the middle. I see both sides.
2: I definitely agree with you. Like It's better that he's working with a shooting coach than no shooting mm-hmm. coach, right? There's a lot of like nuance here. I think what makes me – I'm not even going to say it bothers me. It just makes me less – encouraged by it is the loudness of being on social media promoting the fact i'm in the gym like taking that picture with least like you don't i and this is just how i am i know that's how the world is with social media if you don't Mm -hmm. post on social media it it didn't happen right but that's the thing that sometimes it is loud because it's not like substantial i guess Mm-hmm. And it again, I have results. no idea what he's doing. I'm, I'm just saying yeah. this is, I think, where some people are just like, really? Like, like mm-hmm. three days after this, there's some awareness. And if you're going to be engaged with social media, you know how what that was all received. And then a few days later to do this does kind of seem like you are being bullied into it, which could be not even true. But it's just the perception of it.
3: Right. The perception may not match reality, but that's, that's what it looks like. And with the Lakers letting Penberthy go, not having added more folks to the staff with ham, there's no new shooting coach. It makes sense that he he found someone else to do it and someone he's worked with in the past and someone who's worked with a plenty, plenty of other players. So I don't mind it. Um, and I think it really comes down to, in terms of posting on social media or not posting and doing that, you know, work in the dark, it all comes down to the results. If, if we don't see them posting the workout videos, but th- we see like LeBron and Reeves and Stan Johnson and other dudes like posting about how they're working hard and then the results aren't there, people say, well, why wasn't he working in, you know, why why wasn't he doing that off-season, off-season work? Even if he was, but we mm-hmm. didn't see it. Now, if he's doing all this posting and it pans out and he shoots really well, great. And we can say, oh, you, you should have known this. You saw him working in the gym. If he does all this and then doesn't shoot well, we'll say, Ah, oh, you know, that was all BS. Like it didn't work and, and people just make fun of him. So it, no matter what, if you hit your shots you are going to win in that scenario. If you don't hit your shots, you're going to lose in that scenario. And the narrative will like take a couple steps back and rework itself to, to make fun of him, regardless of which way it goes.
2: And yeah, it's just, it, this is the social media game. This is how you get your, you know, engagement going. And it's it, to me, this is just what happens when <laughs> there's still basketball games to bitch about. And, you know, we just get caught up in these just it, dumb conversations about nothing because we're not stimulated by anything else. So mm-hmm. just blown out of proportion to me. I'm not super worried, but uh, I, I just wanted to, to bring it up because I thought it was funny and it's just relevant things. So uh, but Tim, today, mostly I do want to talk about the finals. Uh, we haven't talked about the finals yet been a really interesting series back and forth Um, despite it being really close like you know every game's decided by 10 or more points which I find interesting Um, what I just wanted to pick your brain about really quick is the bigs in this series and the kind of roles that they're playing uh, and the way that the defense is how it's on the stage how it's you know still two of the better offenses but the defense is really where I feel like this series is being decided and the bigs, you have Robert Williams, which I'm guessing is a roll and cut big, uh, Al Horford, who I'm guessing is a, a roll and pop big, um, and uh, offensively. Right. And then you have Draymond, who's this like versatile playmaking big, I'm guessing. And then Looney, who's also a roll and cut big. Is that accurate?
3: Uh, let me pull up the exact roles, but, I know for sure Williams is a roll and cut big. Horford might be, let's see, Horford a is a up. stretch big. Yeah. Uh, Draymond is a roll and cut big mm. and Looney is a roll and cut big. But like you mentioned, Draymond does a lot of playmaking and we, the playmaking isn't really part of the label itself. That's actually something I'm working on now for B ball index is like, how can we look at your playmaking data? And if you. I don't know. How how can I look at your data and then say this guy is a ball mover or this guy is a table setter or whatever and like come up with labels. So that's on the way. Uh mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. Cool. But no, you're right, you're right. The, three of the four are like they're they're rim runners, they're finishers. Green's a great, you know, short roll playmaker and a great playmaker in general. And Al Horford, you know, he'll he'll finish at the rim, but he also is primarily stretching the floor and trying to open up the floor for other players to drive.
2: So i I guess you know, watching that the way like looking at the last year at the box with them playing, you know, Brooke Lopez and Giannis a lot of the time, it's still, it, it's surprising to me that the small ball lineups haven't battled against each other as often uh, with success and the way that the coaches are leaning and they're going down a defensive rotation path instead of a, uh, you know, score more points than the other team, because it's just every basket's been so hard to come by this, this series.
3: Yeah, and I think part of why we haven't seen them go really go small as much is on the like when you do it, you do it to like put the other team at a disadvantage, like defensively, right. basically. Like, and Al Horford and Williams are mobile enough that that's not really there as much, and we'll still see Boston go small. Robert Williams, but, like, the, right? Or sorry, yeah, yeah. Ro- Al Horford, Robert Williams, like not as they're they're mobile, but you know it's everyone's has trouble guarding Steph, but right. for the most part, they're, they're two of the better perimeter defensive bigs in the entire league centers in the entire league. And they are big.
2: Um, they're not like six, eight or something, you know? Yeah.
3: It, and we'll see times where like Steph is, has Robert Williams guarding him and puts a move on, does a step back and he has separation, but Williams is just so big and he jumps well and he puts his hands up and he's still able to like contest shots. So that's problematic. Um, and is, I mean, Austin's set up really well with those two guys, on the other side of the court, Boston doesn't have the offensive kind of guard to really go at bigs. And Looney and Green are mobile enough also that it's not, you know, it, it's not, okay, this guy can't move his feet. We're going to go attack Marcus All because he can't guard on ball, something like that. Those bigs don't really exist in this series, at least it, that are playing rotation minutes. Um, so that's I think that's part of why we're not seeing that. Now, we have seen Boston play a good bit of, like, drop coverage against Steph, which at its face seems... Terrible, same great pole 3 point shooter. Yeah, but at the same time, they've done a really good job getting all pressure and navigating screens with their guards, whether it be smart, um, or or even like well, Brown and Tatum with their wings, like their they, back they've pressure done a good job is great, getting back pressure. Yeah, getting it's really good. Like, if you can do well with that and like you know, be in a decent position with your big man where you're not conceding a 4v3 off ball. It's not the worst thing in the world because the Warriors don't attack drop coverage in smart ways like other teams do, other than the pull-up threes. They don't run that veer action where they'll take the, the initial ball screener and he'll go screen for a shooter. That would work great for Clay or Poole. They don't do that. They don't run spain action at all, it's maybe a little bit. But they, they don't – like the Suns, if you're running drop coverage, they're going to absolutely annihilate you with their their spain or stack or they even call it snap action. The Warriors don't do that. It's like either Steph's hitting threes – And if they don't spam ball screens and he doesn't spam pull-up threes, they're not beating drop coverage as much as they really should with their personnel. And I think that's a a coaching miss on their end. Now, when you play more aggressive coverages and you give up the, you know, the pocket pass to Draymond, they're going to kill you with their 4v3s because they've got great shooters and they've got good playmakers. And so in a really weird way, you'd almost rather play drop coverage against this team just based on not the strengths and weaknesses of the personnel, but that plus how they attack those different coverages. It's, so that's been interesting.
2: It's been, cause Draymond in game four was, you know, not looking to score the ball and his, mm-hmm. he's struggled a lot offensively in the series as everyone knows, but he has played great defense. Um, but him at the five, you would think these lineups with like, you know, the pool lineup that's been great for them all season. They haven't really had a chance to go to that because of the defensive um you know, issues that come with having Steph and Poole on the court at the same time. And for whatever reason, Boston has really gone away from, I guess, attacking Curry as much as as they did when the early parts of this series, which I don't yeah. understand.
3: Great, great question. Great call out. That's something I've had a lot of internal debate with my team at BBI about because it's mm. a bunch of Warriors fans and then me who hates both the teams. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing is, so Steph is Steph is not a all that good of a defender anymore. He used to be good. He used to be a solid point of attack defender. He navigated screens. Well, the past couple seasons, he's been much, much weaker in a lot of areas and they've appropriately hidden him off ball. He's in low activity roles. He's not, he's not, you know, defending in actions all that much. And when he has been targeted in switches, I was able to get to some second, get some second spectrum data. When you attack him one V one after a switch He's been getting annihilated the past couple Mm. seasons. And, but at the same time, he has a high suppression rate in those situations, meaning like he'll prevent you from even getting a shot off. And the reason for that is because the Warriors are sending a lot of help. So even with them sending help, which causes the offense to abort, and then they do a good job scrambling and recovering, even with that help coming stuff, still uh, from a points per direct scoring chance standpoint, getting destroyed. So I wonder if he really truly was left 1v1, how bad it would look. But they're doing a good job not really giving up those situations because Boston's offense is pretty basic. They don't do much off ball. I I really don't like this offense the more I watch it. Yeah. Um, they do some smart stuff with their initial like primary scoring action, but there's it's like one thing and then that's it. I and mean, we're just a lot of iso. drive and kick and ISO. Yeah. Um, and because they're so predictable and where they're gonna be standing, it's easy to send aggressive help. And then recover out and do that scramble recovery it, in a way that you can't when you're facing a team like Dallas who is setting pin and flare screens left and right or other teams that cut, like the Warriors caught really well. Um, it, it's 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 tough to it's tough to you know be in those situations and um, the other part of this is so Steph's weak but they're sending help and then the other part of this is that Jason Tatum's a fake superstar. Jason Tatum. <laughs> Jason Tatum and, and so I just want to point out here Go Jason off, he's good at the rim he gets to the rim decently he's a really good catch and shoot three-point shooter his pull-up shooting is not good and when the Warriors are sending help and they're keeping you from getting all the way to the rim Steph's not tiny like he can put a hand up he can be in your face and there's guys stunting at Tatum Whenever he's taking those pull-up threes or pull-up mid-range shots, they're not going in. He airballed like five shots that last game on pull-ups. Like he is F uh, three-point – pull-up three-point shot making this season, F mid-range shot making this season. He's vastly underperforming. He – looking at shot creators over the past couple of years, no one's been like weaker in those areas than Jason Tatum. He's – it's red flag fake superstar – you you can't be like that in an offense this basic and expect to like win the title without I, I incredible will say, teammates and defense.
2: To his credit, though, like the playmaking has gotten so much better this season. Oh yeah, and yep. I think you know they're are they correlated? Maybe is it you know because of one another? I don't I don't think so. But is he he's been not an F mid range in the past right it's that's jason tatum is he's the kobe heir this is the the reputation i'm saying right
3: right the reps there the volume's there the thing is the volume's there the performance against expectations is not and that's Mm. a tougher thing to really quantify but you know from the data isn't looking so hot for him so that's a concern and that means that like Unless he's really purposeful about getting to the rim against Steph one v one he's going to struggle, even though he's attacking a weaker defender, because that helps coming. And hope, yeah. we're seeing him settle a lot. So my advice to Jason Tatum would be kind of like people's advice to AD, like, get to the freaking rim. Like, don't settle. because. Um, it's just not working. And then with with Marcus Smart, like he has like forty pounds on Steph or something like that, so he's able to bully him a little bit. But then he's not, you know, he's not going to be hitting hook shots left and right in the post. So that's not the worst situation for the Warriors. But at times he'll be able to bully him and, and get good shots at the rim. Um, and then with Jalen Brown, he's interesting because he and I, I've been writing an article about this for B-Ball Index. His talent compared to his role is such a massive difference this season, this regular season. He was a stationary shooter offensive role, which is bananas to me. But I looked at the data. I was like, this this has to be wrong. It has to be a bug here. I looked at the data. It's not wrong. He's primarily a shooter. He's primarily off ball. He's pr- not moving with his shots. He's standing still catching and shooting. He'll attack. He does well attacking if you give him an advantage. But he, as a shot maker, has not been all that strong this year as well in a self-creation kind of way. Mm-hmm. So they've got two guys that they can be your – two or three options, but they don't really have that true alpha number one guy right now. Yeah. And I don't think their off, their offense is good enough to really allow their offense to, their, their scheme isn't good enough for the, the offensive side of the ball to be how they win. They really need to win with their defense. Yeah, And I think they've done a pretty good job so far, um, but Golden Station is so freaking dynamic.
2: So it this is super interesting to me because I think to your point, you're right about the Boston offense. Like they're very much stand around, ISO, penetrate, get help, kick out. Like that's, mm-hmm. and at like most, the counter will be the closeout. They attack it, maybe get a yeah. lob to Robert Williams. That's kind of like sometimes. the extent of their counters. Yeah. Um. There's it's no, there's no, fl- yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no flare screen to the corner after that, that drive. There's like watching the two offenses, even though you'd probably say that Boston has better talent, the, Levels of counters that the warriors and pressure that a back cut or a flare screen from Draymond or you know just Steph and, and to your point with Smart like as, you don't need to be strong to guard Steph of course it helps he's so good with his footwork and dribbling his handles you're not gonna get that ball he's gonna box you out and it's like Smart's been on his back and getting screened and then Steph gets downhill and is hit yep. mid rangers and in, in the game four. And it, they just get deeper into their counter progression than Boston can offensively. And sure. It helps that Wiggins is bailing you out in these late shot clock, you know, uh, situations that that's really been a big difference to me is the difference between the late shot clock possessions. And I don't have any data. This is just me kind of like the the late shot clock.
3: Boston's been getting more of their offense late in the clock. Golden State's getting and it's been worse. Of their offense early in the clock, right? And yeah, yeah, just and just naturally in general, late clock offense, even for the better players, is going to be worse because you're taking shots you otherwise would say, "All right, you know, let's reset and you know run offense for another ten seconds." So it will be worse, yeah. and it has been worse. Yeah. That's been a big difference.
2: Yeah, so it's it's watching the two offenses and the way that they attack these great defenses. Like you, I have to get. 12 points from Gary Payton or Otto Porter some nights mm-hmm. and Clay Thompson is, you know, hasn't played great, but he's made enough shots and played good defense to where he's a positive on the floor and yep. Boston just like their top, you know, four or five players probably as a collection of individuals better, but the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts for the, the warriors. And it's partly due to, I think, the Steph, you know, making people better by pulling two defenders 30 feet from the rim every possession. And they haven't gone to that as much because I think Boston has played great defense, not allowed him to get um, too, too much of those pocket passes to Draymond. Mm-hmm. But you, you might have to really find a way to make Draymond score the ball in those situations. Stay home, make him make a driving layup from 14 to 20 feet out, you know, like seriously, like even to give him a runway, I feel like Robert Williams can step over and block a lot of those shots. Um, and it's the partly why I think Looney's been on the floor as much as he has to be in that dunker spot and to give him someone you can't help off of. Um, yeah. Looney's been good. Yeah. I've really liked him. Moody's been
3: really good, He and he's really good at the little things. He screens really, really well. He boxes out really well. He's going to battle on the boards in general on both ends of the court, and he'll finish stomp-offs well. And like that's all you need from him. You need a low-usage guy that's going to do a lot of the little things. He does such a good job with that. And I think it's been smart of Golden State to pivot away from the off-screen stuff and a little bit more towards – and they still use it, but a little bit more towards the ball screen offense because – if if uh, Boston's just switching things, or they're physical and they're able to fight around, navigate around off-ball screens, and not be giving you those four v three advantages, but they're going to you know give that to you in ball screens or play drop coverage in ball screens and give Steph open threes, like just run ball screens. Like so, yeah. I, I I appreciate that pivot from the Warriors. I still think there's more you could potentially do from their offense, and I, I both offenses. I'm like, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. Um, so it's not you know, they're not throwing out every trick in the book on either end of the court, but I do think the coaching edge has gone to Golden State, and that's resulted in the the hole being greater than the sum of the parts for them. And another guy to give a shout-out to, to is is Andrew Wiggins, who's had oh, yeah. big games. And he's someone that, and this is important, and this is a good, a good thing in general, regardless of what team you root for to be aware of, is when you have low-activity defenders that are point guards or shooting guards like the Warriors do, you need wings that can go play the point of attack. And the defensive role for Andrew Wiggins this year has been as a point of point of attack defender. When we look at the Suns, Chris Paul, same thing, low activity defender. They need a wing to step up. And it's been Jay Crowder's play point of attack. Um, being able to do that kind of thing really enables them to hide those guys a bit. And that's been huge for them. So he's taken off, taken on a big defensive load and he's been really impactful in it. And then offensively, he gives you some shot creation. He gives you some really good catch-and-shoot, you know, three-point shooting. He's been a better three-point shot maker this year than Clay has. Um, and and just Wiggins's emergence and then Poole's emergence as scores has been really, really beneficial for them, even with, like, Steph having not all that great of a game in this most recent game. They, they still won, and that's that's huge. They're just so deep. And not deep, but they've, they've got num- a number of high-level guys within that top, like, six or seven.
2: Uh, Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and finish up with a little bit more finals and other stuff.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: Okay, and we're back. Um wanted to talk a little about a little more about Steph um and and the way that he's changing the shape of the court on offense. And of course, no one else like maybe Dave, Trey, I guess a little bit. They're they're still not the volume and the efficiency, but just the just you know, the overall impact on the game and the way it opens the court up for other players. So, the reason I bring Steph up is uh you know, both sides of the ball are trying to, to find the spacing to get some room on offense. Cause this defense has been so good. Um, tell me what fucking role Russell Westbrook would play on the court right now, because there's talk that they we're bringing him back and, you know, try to look at the team that you're going to go into next season players on, you know, on your team, like how, which of these guys can play in the finals. What would their role be? Who's their comp in this series? And the, you know, what the comp is Tim Gary Payton. Mm. Gary Payton, the second is the role that Russell Westbrook, the only role that he could fill in a big series like this. You think Russell Westbrook is going to get, you know, three steals in 15 minutes and play, you know, like set 15 screens in a, in a game, like this is it, Tim. And there's no chance. I still see this happening. As more reports come out, the Lakers are probably going to bring Russ back. So I don't know how many times we can talk about this, but what's what's the role for a player like Russell Westbrook in a final series?
3: I don't he's he's not playing at that level. He didn't play at that level this past season. i I think maybe coming off the bench and being an on ball guy during the minutes that like LeBron's sitting. Could make some sense if you are very specific about what you're doing with him and the team, but a Gary Payton role, I don't know. You just can't be a finals team if you're paying a dude like 50 million a year to just stand off ball and and crash the boards and finish dump offs. Um, like Gary Payton, the second he categorizes as a big man, and yeah, great. given the play types he uses. Like he's what? he's just cutting and putbacks. And if you
2: can't shoot and you do have some athleticism, like that's where you're going to succeed. I guess
3: so. <laughs> it's just such a – it's a weird it's a weird fit. I don't know. I can see a pitch where you say stick him in the dunker spot, have him set a lot of ball screens. He's not a good screener, but let's assume he screens better. Setting ball screens, maybe he's able to catch an attack in the short roll, maybe more like a Draymond offensively mm-hmm. where he's – uh, actually hang on. We might, ha- we might be onto something here. Yeah. Think about how Draymond's used. And Draymond has his holes. Uh, yeah. But obviously we've been able to but see But Draymond goes
2: out of his way to not shoot, which is so a lot of times to his credit.
3: Mm-hmm. And even with that, let's see, what is Draymond's offensive? Okay. A D offensive impact for Draymond this year. So not, not great. Um, But in terms of being a short roll guy, And you have to do that by screening for others and setting good screens for others, which Russ doesn't, hasn't done a great job with recently. Um, On the perimeter, if you're being sacked off of the way Draymond attacks, that is he's going to go run a dribble handoff. Right. And he's going to take the fact that his guys in position by being, you know, 10 feet away from him, 15 feet away from him and makes that guy wrong. Makes that guy out of position by turning it into a dribble handoff action. And suddenly it's a two V one in the action for the offense. The Lakers you know, that would result in like maybe LeBron getting a handoff from Russ. Russ becomes a screener in that situation. And then LeBron gets an easy three. Something like that. That's a way to use him. You can stick him in the dunker spot and Russ is going to battle on the boards. To, to his credit, he's a talented offensive rebounder for a guard. So that matters. As a dump-off guy among point guards, he's he's good. He's not elite. He's not awful. He's good. Um I wish he were a shooter, though, because if you stick him in that dunker spot more. You know, as a like a go-to, this is what he's gonna do all the time kind of thing. You can just stick it big on him defensively if he's not gonna really stretch the floor, um, or, or play on the perimeter. So that's the challenge with with playing him offensively that way. Now, defensively, I think you have to stick him in like one of those low activity roles where you keep him away from the ball, you don't expect him to rotate, and this year he didn't rotate. He was like one of the only guys in the helper role that <laughs> didn't actually help. Um you just keep him away and have him guard the worst guy on the other team. And if you need to, you send help. Just treat him like you'd treat Trey Young or Steph Curry or Luka Doncic is, is how you need to start treating Russ defensively. Because the skills are diminishing physically. If he's in like a helper role or somewhere where he's required to rotate, he's like 6'3". And that's not good at, like he can't be late on rotations and also not robert williams's size and, and have that shot blocking ability he's a late guard rotator defending the rim like a, a late guard low man isn't going to do anything for your defense that's that's just a bad defender uh but on ball in actions he's been bad he's been compared to point guards played a thousand minutes or more the past couple of seasons he's got an f on ball defense grades the past four seasons in a row he's he's been he had an f in ball screen defense ball uh uh, all screen navigation this past year. I don't know what you do with them. I, I, you just have to hide them, I guess, and that makes it challenging to build around, especially when you have a bunch of mins on your 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 team. But I think that's what it looks like. It's it stinks.
2: Yeah, it's not great because um, it's the
3: worst of both worlds. Like yeah. think about it this way: the the uh, Gary Payton seconds and the Draymonds, they're weak offensively, but they do enough that with their elite defense right. they're good players right the guys like luca and trey and chris paul who and, and steph who hide on defense aren't good defenders. like they're, they're not high impact defenders but there's huge impact offensive guys if we're using russ in both of those like b- limited roles there's just no path to impact with them so at that point i'd just rather not have him play
2: yeah let's get him let's get him out of here hopefully it's a leverage play um just can't help but think the more those reports come out the lakers are trying to keep him that uh, there's just no there's no place for him on the court during these finals um sorry i just little tangent i, I don't no, i don't like hating on rust this much i i really don't it's just i i don't know how many how many times we can just say the same thing
3: yeah it's i we're trying to say it in different ways but it, like <laughs> hey, right, the thing right. is like what happens with him is the number one thing for the Lakers this off season cuz right. they don't really have money to spend and a trade is going to be a trade f- for him and he was one of many issues last year but he's going to be he's one of those issues that will likely carry over to this upcoming season and there's no real pa- like guys who get sent home the John Walls those dudes they're not playing on title contenders that doesn't happen with title contenders you can't you know blow 40 50 million dollars on nothing so that doesn't really work. Um, well, at the same time, he wasn't playing at a level, and he's playing a number of minutes that like he's not contributing to a title contender, realistically. Um, so it's 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 things to have to talk about it this much because I don't mind him. Like I've I've been frustrated watching him recently. I used to really really enjoy his play, and he was a very good player. Just right now, he's the biggest impediment to the team performing, and he's not the only one. But it makes sense that we continue to talk about it because it's it's one of the biggest challenges and if somehow darvin ham can turn him into a good defender that's that's big and so if the lakers can trade him that's big so these are the kinds of things that we'll unfortunately have to keep keep talking about
2: i'm not really sure why people are saying that i'm transitioning hard back to the finals uh they really expect boston to come back and this game six now they've fought very well. I didn't think they would beat my a Milwaukee. Um, I did think they'd beat the heat even after losing game six, but uh, the Milwaukee series, they they really fought and they played a really good team. And, and Milwaukee was without Middleton. Of course, I think it goes a lot differently if he's there, but I think Boston and, and they've shown this kind of that they're, they're waiting to implode in some way. Like when chips are down, I it's there's always the players only meetings, reports coming out of them, you know what I mean. Marcus Smart saying this or that, and this is the most the best they've looked in this run of the last like five years or so, and they made the conference finals right in the bubble, uh, and this is the best they've looked, furthest they've gotten, and they're two wins away, and the the way that they crumbled in that game five. Now yeah, they were on the road against a team with a lot more finals experience um, with a better coach and Odoka's Doka's doing great, but there are these little things that, again, this, the whole being the su- uh, greater than the sum of the parts and the way that the Celtics play this isolation, you know, very, you know, they'll get advantages and kick it out and play ISO unselfish ball. But at this point when the chips are down, there's going to be Jalen Brown hoisting really tough shots at some point in game six, Jason Tatum hoisting Marcus smart doing too much. Now this is this. I, I feel like most people think it's going to go seven. I actually think the Warriors are going to win game six. Um, I think clay is going to, you know, watch some YouTube highlights and get him fired up again. And I think that the Warriors know they can't let it go. To a seventh game, and they have that experience to know this is a game seven for them. Even though they do have a game seven, they treat it like with that seriousness. I think Boston might come out a little bit too overeager. Um, but I'm curious what you think. Uh it's been an it's been back and forth, you know, all series.
3: Yeah, I, I think over the course of the series we've seen Golden State refine their approach and Boston not as you know, not adjusting quite as much and i I don't know i i think the warriors are going to win this i don't know if it will be done tomorrow in game six they're not they're not favored but they've got a great shot and like you're saying at the end of the day like it's going to come down to guys hitting tough shots and right the warriors have multiple tough shot makers that i trust way more than boston's guys in in that respect and you know the f pull three-point shot making f mid-range uh pull shot making like that's over the course of the season. There were stretches of time within games, within quarters, within weeks, within months that Tatum was really good in those, in those respects. And at this point there are one or two games left. So mm-hmm. it could come down to, he has a, a great game and he, you know, goes five for five on pull threes and people make fun of the numbers, but the, you know, on these small samples, anything can happen. And it's just going to come down to shot making and adjusting and, I don't see Steph having another game as bad as he just had. So, I, I think the Warriors, for all that has gone wrong with them from an individual performance standpoint, they're a game away. From, like, they're up 3 2, and I'd have confidence in them closing this out. And they've got game seven at home if it gets to that. So, they've, they've got a really good shot.
2: It's just tough when you you can't think of it as the the game we have well, we have game seven. Once you lose that momentum in a series, it's hard to get back. And mm-hmm. you know, but Milwaukee lost in Game Six on their own home court, and it's that easy to just snowball into. We lost the momentum. Um, the series is over, and the next game anything can happen. Steph can hit seven of ten threes and. The rest of the Warriors don't hit a single one. You know, it's it's yep. the way it's been going. He, he can go nuclear and they can still lose.
3: Right, right, for sure. Here are the odds based on the model that we threw together at Bewell Index that uses uh, like up-to-date rotation information and uses various impact metrics. LeBron has Golden State with a 70% chance to win. Uh, 34% wow. chance they win tomorrow and six 30% chance. Boston wins in seven 36% chance. Golden state wins in seven uh, EPM golden state, 73% chance drip golden state, 88% chance uh, DPM, the, the darko one golden state, 64%. That's actually, I think the close. Oh no, here we go. Raptor <laughs> golden <laughs> state, 58%. Uh, don't use that one. Um, so Every single one of them has the Warriors' favored as they showed. They're up 3-2. Uh, and the most likely outcome for most of these is the Warriors in seven. But the second most likely outcome in all of these is the Warriors in six. Interesting. So they've, they've got a real shot here to, to close it out early. And they should be heavily favored at this point, at least according to the numbers. And I think that matches what we're seeing.
2: Finals experience matters, man. Like especially when it's such considerable, considerably weighted toward one side, Um, it
3: coaching and playing like coaches and players. Yeah,
2: that it's just, and it's not everything, of course. You know, Boston has very very good players who could play much better than they have been, uh, despite Mm -hmm. very good defense. You know, making tough shots. You know, playing as a unit that's still totally possible. It's just to me the least. Pat likely path of the Yeah.
3: I agree. I I think if Boston is to pull it out, they need to I almost I'm I'm thinking back to Kobe. Like there were games in the playoffs where they would slow it down, be deliberate. Yeah. Kobe's gonna go to work on somebody. And if you can run actions to get Steph on Tatum and then clear out, be ready to counter help with like pretty simple stuff and just space the floor with shooters and allow him to like go to work on Steph in the post or something like that you can, you know, get some fouls drawn on Steph. That's going to take, you know, some energy out of his energy bar and it makes it harder for him to be effective offensively. And, like, that's one of the things that I would be going into quarter one if I'm Boston and going right at Steph as much as I possibly can. Because if you can get three fouls on him, it changes the game completely. Even if you don't get the fouls on him, you still should score efficiently. And even if you don't score efficiently, you're still – you know, getting probably decent shots and you're taking a lot out of his energy, which should help you on the defensive end of the court. So if Boston is to win, I think the storyline will be Tatum rising to the occasion and then bullying Steph defensively. If they don't, if both of those things don't happen, I don't think they're going to pull this one out.
2: Good stuff, man. Well, let's, let's wrap it up there. Let's go warriors. Um, I know, you know, I'm with you too. Like I, I really enjoyed watching the Warriors like 15 to, you know, 16, 17 before they got Durant and then they mm-hmm. just became this this monster like yep. you know like total super villain uh as far a lot of their fans too are just unbearable saying yeah. that as a Lakers fan. I know we are too. <laughs> but um I mean it's no question. Let's go Warriors. It's yeah, not it's yeah. not a debate. For
3: sure. Either you die a hero or you live long, live long enough to become the villain, but even yeah. in this situation like those <laughs> oh guys <I'm> <laughs> um <laughs> yes oh uh, yeah but and like i don't like boston i think i despised like the like big three teams a little bit more than these teams i like i like al horford mm-hmm. I, tatum i don't mind i don't think he's as good as people think he is but i don't mind him i don't like smart at all smart's such a freaking <laughs> flop merchant it's so aggravating and then he'll, like, flop super obviously in what's been a very physically called game and, like, be aghast that they didn't call, like, you know, offensive foul. So there are certainly guys. It's good to still have guys that you despise on a team. Yeah, against. definitely. Um, but, yeah, no, it's been a good series. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it, even though, like, no matter who wins or loses, I'm not really, like, happy. But definitely, right. definitely go Warriors. Um, so we've got that coming up. Uh, like you mentioned, we're doing the team for a day thing in the Discord. We're calling that Project Ghostbusters, Tom, because after everything that we do, you know, figure out all the puzzle pieces and who's got the spending power and who will the Lakers be going after in free agency based on who they can afford, who are you going to call? That's that's the ultimate, uh, you know, answer we're getting to is who the Lakers are going to call. So that's why it's Project Ghostbusters. Wow. Okay. Yeah some deep stuff. Um, if you'd like to get in on that action, DM one of us, a five star review of the podcast or the, uh, Laker sex pod, uh, Twitter account, which I think you run sometimes. I think Johnny runs sometimes. I don't know. I don't have the login. Um, <laughs> I, you need to add in the bio that like tweets from Tom slash Johnny or something. Cause when people see me interacting with it we have the same bio, like or same profile picture, I think I look like an idiot just like talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, get in there. That's fun. That's, you know, there are no special tiers or anything. Anyone's in on that. And, and we've got a lot of work to do in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got an X's and O's session coming out tonight and that'll be recorded so you can go access that. Um, and we've got bonus pods that we've been doing and will continue to do. Uh, so get in on all of that. DM us that five-star review of the podcast. Or um, if you want to check out the tiers, look at the link in my bio. It has instructions in there. And just want to shout out the good folks in there already that have been supporting us. Shout out to Mike H for supporting us as an arena sponsor, as well as Zach Harris, Qio iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, TJ, and Omar for living the high life with us in the owners box. And then also to all of our courtside and lower boar, lower bowl folks who support what we do here. Um, that's a, just a growing and growing group. Really great deals, honestly, with the tiers. There's just so much. You open up past like the basic set of channels, and there's so much great discussion going on. Um, so you know how to get in there. That is all I have to pitch for the discord, but we have a a fun off season ahead of us.
2: Sounds awesome. Come join us in the discord, Tim. I'm going to leave you with this quote. Draymond Green press conference from earlier earlier today was asked the mental challenge of facing the Celtics versus LeBron James quote. It doesn't compare. He is arguably the smartest guy to set foot on a basketball court to say that it compares to that it's disrespectful to LeBron and it's a lie to you. With that, goodbye, everyone. Go Warriors. Talk to you next time. See you.
3: Go Dubs.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.